I said that right, Carrie. That time I said it right, I think. I got mocked one time because I say that word incorrectly. So I think I said it right that time. I've been thinking about it all week because I knew I was going to come to that word and I knew I was going to have to say it either right or wrong. Actually, I think it's Anthony that pointed it out to me. So it may, this one might not have been Carrie's fault. So maybe it's Anthony's fault that I'm self-conscious about that word today. So anyway, in verse 18, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Verse 21, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with my Father on his throne, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I want to ask you a question that occurred to me that I had never thought about before. How many times have you heard an altar call where verse 20 is used to speak to people who aren't saved. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I always have used that verse, or heard that verse used, speaking to non-Christians. But this verse, or this, this whole section from 14 to 22, is being written to Christians. It's being written to the church at Laodicea. Now, no doubt, just like in any church, there probably were people there that didn't know the Lord, but predominantly the message that John is giving is being written to Christians. And so that invitation of him standing at our heart's door knocking is for us. He wants to come in and have fellowship with us. And so a few things about this. So in a few minutes we're going to read about the about the first church, the book uh, the church that was formed in Acts chapter 2. This church, this the writing of this happened about 60 to 65 years after that. So this if you imagine the what we call the early church these are their grandchildren. These are, these are their children. This was an amazing city. This ch the city of Laodicea was right at the crossroads of commerce. Everything was happening there. They were rich. They had everything that you could imagine that a city would need except one thing. Does anybody know what that one thing was that they were missing? Okay, they were missing two things. They were missing that too. They were missing water. With all of their riches and all of their scientific advances, there was no water. They had to have an aqueduct, a large pipe, pipe water from seven miles away to give them fresh water. The water that was nearby was all minerally and grody. That's a scientific term. Um, 
And so they had everything that you could think a city needed. They were known as kind of, I think, I kind of imagine them as the boulder of the, of the Middle East. They're in modern-day Turkey. They're about 600 miles-ish away from Jerusalem. But it was like a health center. They, they, were, known for, they were known for this eye salve that could help people see that couldn't see and evidently ear treatments and all kinds of things. They were, this was the happening place. And you would think that a church planted in this happening place would be an amazing church. Would be an amazing group of people with all of these resources. They could say, I mean, it'd be kind of like a church in Colorado who says, man, come visit. We're a tourist attraction and a church. I mean, you can go see the mountains. You can come here, Phil, preach. It's an amazing combination. It wasn't as good as it looked like. So, Jesus very quickly, or John, or Jesus through John, very quickly gave them, gave, gave them a reality check. He says, I want you to know that just because everything looks right, Everything feels right. Everything around you is good and everything is... You have money in the bank and you, I'm sure the church, the, evidently there was an earthquake uh, in Laodicea in, in those days and Rome offered to come and help provide money to, to repair the earthquake damage and they said, we don't need you. We have enough money to take care of our own earthquake damage. This place had it all. But when Jesus saw the state of the Christians in this church, he found them to be extremely wanting. And the scary thing is, I found myself in this church. I was raised in a Christian home. I was saved when I was five years old. My parents raised me in a very sheltered way, and I was saved from so many things that people that I know and love have had to go through. And one of the downsides of that that, that can happen in that kind of raising is you can feel like you would never say this. I got it. I got it. But church, I don't have it. I sat, when we moved to Colorado, I sat in services where I knew I should have gotten up and left. I knew I should have gotten up and left. But I didn't. I pretended like I was full when I was really, 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 really hungry. 
I was full of myself. I was full of my own solutions. I was full of lots of ideas that I could give anybody who came to talk to me. But the Lord has shown me that I needed to realize the state that I was really in. That before I could help a single person, before I could even help my own children, I needed to realize where I was at. I was like this, I was like this church. Everything was going good. We have an amazing house, I have an amazing family, I have an amazing wife, I have, I have great, uh, a great family on Betty's side, I have a wonderful family on my side, we have great friends, and yet I needed more of Jesus. And I didn't even know how badly I needed it. And so when I read this verse, and it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and therefore be zealous and repent, because I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I began to hear the Lord knocking on my heart's door, saying, I have more for you. You know, one of the things that scared me to death is I began, I, I grew up and I got, the, I got the privilege of getting to hear people like Leonard Ravenhill and uh, Richard Wormbrand speak. And these brothers, there was no end to the adventure these guys were going to have with the Lord. I mean, they, I mean they, were, they were old men and yet they were still crying out for more of God. And I got, over the last few years, I never would have said, oh, I've arrived, I'm there. But that's kind of what we kind of heard. We've arrived, we're there, we're, near, we're almost there. But I heard the Lord knocking on my heart saying, no, 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 no. Come by of me, salve that you can see. I don't want to raise my children to have a relationship with God where they think they've got it all together. But if the Lord, if we could see what the Lord sees, we would realize how blind we really are. But the beautiful thing here is, it's not some hard works thing. I've got to make sure I put enough stuff over in this column so finally I can see again. No, 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 no. He's offering it right there. All we have to do is realize that we need something from the Lord. All we needed to realize is, I need more of God. And you know what? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I want more of God. I want to see more of Him. I want my children to experience more of Him. And so over the last few day, over the last few weeks, my knee has been, I, I uh, pulled something in my quadriceps, and so I haven't been able to, yes, thank you for laughing, Caitlin, that's just wonderful. <laughs> yep. So by the, the long story, the, the short version is, I mocked Carolyn, and then something happened to my knee. So I don't really know how that works, but I'm never, ever going to mock Carolyn again, ever. And, but, um, but so I, instead of running and doing high-intensity workouts, I've been taking a lot of long walks. 
And those walks have been precious to me. Because the Lord's been speaking to me about what He can do in me. What He can do in us. What He can do in anybody who will just answer that call. All He says, open the door. Just open the door. He'll come in and He'll dine with you. He'll fellowship with you. He'll show you the secrets of His heart. That's what He wants to do. And that's what He's been starting to do with me as I've opened that door of my heart. And so I want to turn... Uh, well, one thing, just coincidentally, I love how what happens after the ne- very next verse, after we talk about opening the door and he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, And, the, and after these things, I, look, I looked and behold, a door stood open in heaven. That, I thought I was opening a door in my heart. And the Lord was opening the door of heaven. He was just saying, here are the riches of heaven. I'm just going to dump them into your life. And so I want to I just real quickly go to, go to um, Acts chapter 2. When, the brother, when Brother David, several weeks ago, he was going to all the first places that something was talked about, I was challenged to look in the first place in the book of Acts where the church is talked about. And this may not be the very, very first place, but it's pretty close. And I want to just read through here just a few sections here. In in chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind and a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and then appeared to them divided tongues of fire. One sat upon each one of them and they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven And when this sound occurred, number one, I never noticed that before. Did you know that that rushing mighty wind, I always had imagined that like in a room like this, they heard the mighty rushing wind. People outside heard and came. It says, and let's see, they, and when this sound, that mighty rushing wind sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because every one of them heard them speaking in his own language, and then they were amazed and said, Look, are these not Galilee, these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah and Cap- Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And I was talking to my kids about this last night, and it hit me, something I never thought about. What do you think the, the, the Laodiceans talked about? 
What does it say they talked about? It says they talked about themselves. They said, we have no needs. We're okay. Because the Bible says in Revelations, you say, I am rich and have need of nothing. Even when the the early church here in Acts was speaking in tongues, they were talking about the goodness of God. They were talking about the great things of God. And that has challenged me. I told my kids, I said, what would happen if somebody planted a bug in our house? And they evaluated what they heard based on two things. They had two options. They could only choose one of two options. One, the Scott family talked all day, or more than anything else, about the mighty works of God. Or, the Scott family talked about themselves. All my kids... Boy, they hear we were talking about ourselves. We talk about Jesus some. We talk about the mighty works of God some. But wouldn't it be an amazing testimony of any one of our lives if somebody was sitting there listening and what they heard was us talking about Jesus. Talking about how amazing our God is. Not complaining, not wishing things were better, not, uh, you know, griping about something that doesn't matter, but talking about how amazing our God is. That's what I want. That's what I want my testimony to be. I hope that in six months, if if I read that verse to my kids again, and I say, okay, A or B, They say, hey, far and away, we just talk about Jesus all the time. That's what I want. I'm not saying we we don't ever talk about Jesus at my house. If you've been to my house, we talk about Jesus a lot. But I want that to be the thing that is the trademark of my life. That I'm I'm pointing people to Him in everything that I say. In, cha- in verse number 16, I'm going to be really careful, I'm really quick here, but in verse number 16, it says, uh, Peter quoting Joel, says, And it came to pass in, that, in the last days, or it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and my, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders from heaven and signs in the earth, beneath blood, uh, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That verse spoke so strongly to me. I just want to ask you dads and you moms, what are your expectations of your children? Do we expect our children to experience God like this? 
Do we expect them just to sit and listen? Or do we expect God to be working in the midst of our children? I was, when I was walking this week, the Lord asked me, what did I expect of Joel? Did I believe, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, I believe Abel, because Abel encourages me all the time. Abel will see me down and he'll say, hey daddy, can I pray for you? I get encouraged by Abel all the time. But Joel can't talk. And I thought, how could God be glorified like this in Joel's life? Because I believe that each one of our children that are saved have a full measure of the Holy Spirit in them. We don't have... It's not like you kind of get more and more and more as you get older. If anything, and there's no biblical basis for this, but if anything, it goes less and less and less. The Bible says we need to become like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I believe that our children are full of... If they're saved, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And we need to... I get some good fellowship so I'm not so lonely. That's all great. But have you ever gone with a burden in your heart to say, I want to bless Carrie and Soretta. I want to give them something so that when we leave, they say, man, the Spirit of the Lord was in this place. I was encouraged. The Bible says, he that waters will himself also be watered. Carrie is watering. He has a burden. I'd encourage you young people, get a burden on your heart to water him. Get a burden on your heart to say, just to text him during the week, thanks, Carrie, for whatever, thanks for, uh, for what you did, or I was reading this Bible verse and it really encouraged me, I hope it encourages you. None of us have a right just to sit and receive. God has put in each one of us, in every single one of us, the Spirit of God is there. And God wants us to use that to bless each other. To bless Him by blessing each other. And so I encourage you young people, do that. So in Acts, uh, in, chapter, in verse number 42, I'm going to skip a few points here. Uh, let's go up to verse 40. And, after, and with many other words, being testified and exhorted, it be, be testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation, and then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly, another version says, and they were devoted in the apostles' doctrine and teaching, or in fellowship, and in breaking of, the, breaking of bread and prayers. Let me ask you a question. This is a question the Lord's been asking me. What about me, kind of similar to what I talk about, what am I devoted to? I'm devoted to Betty. I know that for sure. I talk about her all the time. One time Phil said, you know, you talk about your wife a lot. Coming from Phil, that's a compliment because he talks about his wife a lot. But you talk about your wife a lot. I'm devoted to her. I'm crazy about her. So I talk about her a lot. Is it, but that devotion also motivates a whole slew of actions. 
what are we devoted to? Or as this version says, what are we what do we continue steadfastly in? Okay, I've been on a diet. I have been I have had for the since March to have to be very, very careful what I eat. Very, very, very careful how much I work out. Sometimes I'm too careful about how much I work out. And and I, but if I had stopped that and kind of on again, off again, I'd probably be exactly where I was in March. What about our relationship with the Lord? Are we willing to be devoted like that to our relationship with the Lord? Where it is the underlying foundation of every other decision we make. Sure, we have to make decisions about our finances, we have to make decisions about where to, how to school our kids and where to buy our groceries and all those kind of things. That's all fine. But wouldn't it be amazing if the testimony of our life, the testimony of my life, was that I was that the, that the driving force, that the filter that I saw everything in my life through was that devotion to Jesus. That's what I see in these people in this early church that I was convicted by. The last one I'm going to bring up before closing is in verse 44. When Betty and I were trying to get the baby here, we walked a lot. So I was getting two walks. I was getting my walk and her walk. And um, we were walking down behind Fairgrounds Park and we were talking about these things. And this verse just popped in my mind while we were sitting there talking. And it blew me away. It says in, uh, let's see, verse 43. And fear, another, word, another uh, version says, and awe came upon every soul. That's what I want in my life. I want, you know, when you go up to the mountains, my mom used to, whenever we would get too busy on a road trip, and we'd be playing. We weren't playing with our phones. I don't know what we were doing because we didn't have phones. Uh, we were reading a book. And my mom would say, wait a second, everybody look out the window. I want to hear everybody say, ooh, ah. Seriously, she still probably does that. You can ask her when she comes. She's going to be here in a couple of weeks. Ooh, ah. I want to hear everybody go, ooh, ah. Look at all the beauty around us. You know, I wake up sometimes in the morning and I'll see Long's Peak up there and I'll just be like, Wow. I can't believe I live here, and I think, ooh, ah. But, but, you know, it's easy to do that with nature. We get in this place and we think, man, alive, this is amazing. I can't believe God made all of this. That's what God wants our experience and our relationship with Him to be like every day. Every single day, he wants us to be in awe of Him. In awe with what He's doing in our lives, with what He's doing in our brother's life, with what He's doing with us as a body of Christ together. He wants us to be in awe of Him. And 
by the way, this thing keeps coming off the back of my ears. I don't know what in the world I'm doing wrong, but there we go. There we go. Um, anyway, I want to be I want to be in awe of Him. I want to have that same. You, you don't you don't go look at the mountains. You don't drive up in the mountains. The boys and I. Uh, the day before my dad died, the, to the anniversary of his death, we, ran, we drove, all the boys and I drove up to uh, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park and went on a hike, and, and I was just being thankful that I had my boys. And, and so we went up and we, we hiked up to a waterfall, and it didn't, I, nobody had to pinch me and go, Josh, say ooh-ah! But you know, sometimes we do that with each other. Sometimes we kind of work each other up into being excited about being a Christian. But that's not the way it should be. My relationship with God should so captivate my heart that I am in awe of Him all the time. That's the way it is. Good times, bad times, I should be in awe of Him. In closing, one of the other places that I've, I've been thinking a lot about is um, or in a book that I read, I read something about the church in China. And the church in China, at least these, this group of churches in China, make five commitments to each other as a church. Oh, one other thing about this before I go there. One other thing um, in Acts chapter 2 that I was convicted by is it says that there were daily added to their number as many as that are saved. It's been a long time since I've led somebody to the Lord. I was really convicted that that isn't just a first century church kind of thing. It would be so awesome if we as a church became such powerful witnesses, each one of us in our families, not, some, not necessarily some big campaign thing, but just in our, I think about Carrie as he goes, I picked on Carrie twice today, it's not really fair, but um, it's not fair? Okay, I won't pick on Carrie. Um, well, Carrie's told me several stories about people that he talks to when he's just at a truck stop or getting his truck fixed, and Paul's done the same thing. You know, I think it's those kind of interactions where we, if we go into those situations and say, Lord, give me an opportunity. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you, Please give me an opportunity to talk to them about you. Let my life be real enough. When I say, I save you from your sins, they go, I believe it because he said it. You know, the people in our work, they see us the way we are. They see when we don't have our, so, our Sunday clothes on, so to speak, and we're doing things just the right way. But wouldn't it be neat if every single Sunday God was adding... It says daily, so maybe every single day of the week, God was adding to our number, not because we're out trying to proselytize and pull people from other churches, but because people are getting saved. I mean, I was so convicted and so challenged that somebody as extroverted as me is as terrible a witness as I am. And I've asked the Lord to change that in me. But I would love to see people begin to get saved because we are so on fire for God. We love Him. It's, we're in awe of Him. We're devoted to Him. This, all we want to talk about is Jesus. And then people begin to get saved. 
I mean, what greater joy would there be than that? I just think that'd be amazing. So anyway, five commitments that the Chinese church makes to each other that I just thought was be- were beautiful. That are five things that I'm trying to do in my life with my kids. The first thing is they commit to pray with each other and for each other. The second thing is they commit to read God's word. The third thing is they commit to be a witness. The fourth thing is they, uh, they commit to expect the supernatural. They, they expect God to move in their, in their situations. And the last one is they, they commit to one another to rejoice in suffering. I want that to be the kind of life that I live. I want to be the kind of person that, you know, I don't believe that the church in China or the early church here or you pick your church has the market, has cornered the market on God moving in their midst. I I loved what Reuben said when we heard Brother David. He said the thing, and I'm going to probably quote him wrong, but he said something like, I'm so happy to realize that God is in a respecter of persons and that the things that God was doing for these people that you talked about, He can do for me. That's what I want to believe. I want to believe that there is no end to what God wants to do in each one of our lives. And that when we come together as a church, we are like, you won't believe what happened to me this week. Somebody got saved, or this person's prayer got answered, or this thing happened, or God gave me, count, gave me wisdom to give somebody else counsel, or I was able to help this person. And I mean, God just doing so many things among us. I mean, it might get to the point where I have to extend my kid's curfew and let him stay till 11 at carries instead of 10. Because there's so much good stuff going on that they just all have to talk about how good God is. That's what God can do for us. It isn't about, we can hear those stories about the persecuted church and we can say, oh man, that's so cool. Or we can believe that God is no respecter of persons and what He's done for them, He can do for us. And I firmly believe that if we will be devoted like that, if we will make that our goal, we want to see God move in our midst, that in a year or in two years we will look back and we won't believe all the ways that God has been faithful to us and how God has moved and how excited our children are about serving God and how excited we are about... And we can't wait to get together because we want to just talk about all the amazing things that God has done. I don't want to be like a Laodicean. I don't want to be able to sit back there and go, yeah, I was raised right. I haven't done anything super duper bad. I'm okay. Man, I am through with that. I'm hungry and I hear him knocking at my heart's door saying, if you'll open the door, I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you. Praise the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint the words that I've spoken, Lord God, 
Lord, that you would add what I've missed and erase what I said that was incorrect, Lord Jesus, because only your words will last. And I pray you would help us, Lord, to see you for the awesome God that you are. That we would be so excited every day that we get to get up and serve you for another day. And there would, we wouldn't be talking about what we can see, but we would realize that you are the only one that can help us see. You're the only one that can clothe us. You're the only one that can make us righteous. You're the only one, Lord God, that can give us true fellowship, Lord God. I believe you, Lord God. You can do that in me and my family and in all the church here, Lord God. I know you can do it, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.